Well, I, I want to take the time that we have left, and I want to jump right into uh, part four of a message series that I've been speaking about the wilderness. And today I want to speak specifically to you about Satan's strategies in the wilderness. If you've been trekking with us, you know and believe that God, the wilderness is part of God's plan for our life. The Bible says, and we looked at this last week in Luke chapter 3, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. But we also understand that Satan wants to take advantage of whatever opportune time he can to come against us. And so in Matthew chapter 4, we find the story, uh, similar to Luke 4, of Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. We're going to go there today, and I want to show you the three temptations that Jesus faced that I believe all of us at some time face in our lives. But before we go there, I just want to start from a platform in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. This is a, a verse that's probably really familiar to a lot of you. It says, be alert and sober-minded, for your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. How many of you are familiar with that verse? It's a powerful picture of, of the way that the enemy comes against the people of God. He's looking for the weak one. He's looking for the opportunity to pounce and to devour the plan and purpose of God for your life. He comes, as Jesus said, to steal, kill, and destroy. But why did Peter say that? Why, why give us this sober warning to say, hey, look out? Is that it? Is it just heads up? This is like a warning shot going out like, hey, the devil's coming. No, look at the next verse and you see the reason that he tells us that. He says in verse 9, resist him. Yes, the devil's coming, but resist him. You, you can do something about it. How do we do that? He says, resist him standing firm in the faith. Now, now this is a really, really important principle that we need to grab a hold of when it comes to spiritual warfare. The invitation... <coughs> is to resist the power of the enemy, but the way that we do it is by standing firm in the faith. In other words, this is not an invitation to fight the devil. A lot of people, they, they get it twisted in their minds when we're talking about spiritual warfare. They think they need to, you know, just get some loud declarative voice and, you know, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the enemy and, and shout at the devil and get angry and, and, and like, like it's as if it's up to us to win anyway. That's not what spiritual warfare really is. Spiritual warfare always is fought for the child of God from the high ground. In other words, when we go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the enemy, we know we are victorious before the battle ensues. That's what we have in the cross. And so when Peter says, resist the devil, how do we do it? He says, stand firm in the faith. In other words, remember that the victory has already been won in Christ Jesus. Your responsibility is to stand in that truth. And then he gives this reminder. He says, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is, <coughs> is undergoing the same kind of suffering. In other words, Peter says you, you can stand firm in the faith no matter how difficult it seems in the heat of the battle because you know you're not alone. You're not alone in this struggle. You're not the only one that's going through what you're facing. And Can I just remind us today on Sunday morning that there is a, a voice that is reverberating around the world today that says that Jesus is victorious. We're not the only church gathered this morning, amen? Yes. 
There are people all over this world in cathedrals and in fallout shelters in the Ukraine that are declaring Jesus is the victor. Even this morning as I look at these students, I'm reminded. They ha- there's a voice echoing in this house. There's a generation that is calling out to us and saying that we can stand firm in the faith. That ought to encourage somebody today. Because these students are up against battles that, that we have never faced. You know, this is the first generation of young people that, that our culture would look at and say they don't have it better than their parents. Every other generation, we've always kind of believed, and it's been true, that, that we have it better than our parents had it, that our parents have it better than their parents had. That's why we all grew up hearing the jokes, you know. The, the older person would say, well, back in my day, we had to walk to school in the snow with no shoes, uphill, both ways, right? And we all laugh at that and we get it because we've all understood that, you know what, it was harder for my parents than it was for me until today. The stats show us that we look at this generation and we acknowledge they don't have it easier than us. Especially if they make a decision to live a life that is etched out by biblical values. So we recognize that there is an enemy. He is on the prowl. And yet God says we can resist him. And that there is a a witness in the earth. That we're not in this alone. In James chapter 4, in verse 7, James talks about this same battle. He says this, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So how do we resist the devil? Well, he says right here in this verse, submit yourselves to God. And there again, you need to understand the distinction that spiritual warfare is not about us overpowering the evil one. It's about us coming under the power of the Almighty One. The way that we do spiritual warfare is by, is by submitting ourselves to God, by humbling our hearts and coming before Him who rules and reigns. And then He says a little more than that. He says, Come near in verse 8 to God, and God will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. It's Dr. Levine's favorite verse in the Bible. (laughs) I just got to let the dust settle from that before I move on. He says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve. Mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy into gloom. What is he talking about? One moment he's talking about resisting the devil, and now he's saying all this. What he's saying in that moment in one word is this, repent. That's what he's saying. Repent. Yes, wash your hands, but also purify your heart. In other words, deal with your manners, but also deal with your motives. If you're going to come before the Lord, you got to come with your whole heart. So you got to deal with your actions, but you also got to deal with your attitudes. You got to clean the inside of the cup, not just the outside of the dish. And he's saying, when you come before God, you ought to feel the weight of your own sinfulness. That's why he says, mourn and grieve and wail. Why? Because you're coming before a holy God 
in humility. And can I just say to you today that if you're in the presence of the Lord and you're under prophetic preaching and, and you feel convicted today and you feel uncomfortable and a little squeamish and squirming in your seat, I do not apologize for that. Because the Holy Spirit wants to bring an awareness to us of our own sinfulness. I believe the church ought to be the safest place in the world to hear the scariest truth in the world. And so when we come into a service like this and the word of God is being proclaimed and the worship of God is happening, there should be an awareness in us that humbles us. And he says, this is how you resist the devil. You humble yourself before the Lord, you submit of that. Your laughter turns to mourning, your joy to gloom. But then he says, it's so that we can be made clean. Look at the next verse. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Puff your chest out and get loud and, and brash and, and, and say all the right words or be authoritative. No, no, no. The most intimidating pose and posture that a child of God could take in the presence of his enemy is just like this. When, when we just humble ourselves before the Lord, when we submit ourselves under God's mighty hand, the Bible says he will lift you up. He will lift you up. So as much as Jesus was led into the spirit by the wilderness and he came out of the wilderness in the power of the spirit, that is my prayer and my desire for each of you. But I want you to know that the enemy also has a game plan. The enemy has a strategy, and, and I want to look at this text for the next few moments in Matthew chapter 4, and I want to just show you Satan's strategy in the wilderness. Let's begin in Matthew 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, isn't that the most obvious verse in all the Bible? After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Like, but honestly, there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that word. And, and let me just say, you know, we're about to start in two Sundays from now, we're going to start 21 days of fasting and prayer as a church. If you've been here the last few weeks, you've heard me talk about it. You're going to hear us ramp up a lot more next week as we prepare for that season as a church. 21 days of fasting and prayer. Some of you have done this before, and maybe you already have high expectations for what God's going to do in your life and in your home and, and in our church. And maybe some of you today, you've never considered doing something so radical as to fast. Well, let me tell you a couple things about it. Number one, a, a fast in the Bible is always a food fast. Now, we're in, we're in the, the 40 weekdays leading up to Easter right now, it's the Lenten season, and a lot of people are saying, like, I'm going to, you know, eat fish on Friday, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up social media, or whatever that might be, and, and you know, th that's great. You should do that sometimes. We need to detox from all the social media and the, the digital space, but a fast in the Bible is always a food fast. And when you fast, you will be hungry. Let me just tell you now so you can set your expectations. You know, it's not going to be this like, you know, supernatural thing that happens to you that you're just pursuing God and you're not, you're not, you're skipping a meal or, or you're eating a very restricted diet. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, you know, it doesn't even phase me. Oh no, it'll phase you. Thus saith the Lord. Matthew 4, 2. He was 
hungry. But it's a good reminder, too, because it says after he had fasted 40 days and night, he was hungry, which tells me that Jesus didn't come out on the other side of this supernatural experience, and all of a sudden, he wasn't human anymore. All of a sudden, he didn't deal with his flesh anymore. And so let me just tell you, we don't fast, we don't press into the presence of God so that we can become supernatural people. We press in so that we can encounter a supernatural God. And that's the purpose of doing it. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's pressing in to the heart of the Father. And I want to just, I want to challenge you to, to right now pray about it and mark your calendar. Plan to participate March 20th through April 9th. Some of you will do the Daniel fast with us. Others might do more than that. Some might need to do less. But I want to challenge you to do something, to let the Spirit lead you into this season with us as a church of believing God. We've got some resources that we're putting together as a church. We're going to walk through this. I've got a book we're going to be giving to every person that you can dig into your daily devotion with God. We've got leaders in the church that are uh, that have written devotionals that we're going to be emailing and posting to everyone each day throughout this season because we want to believe God for breakthrough together. And I believe God's going to do it. I believe God's going to bring breakthrough in this spring like we have never seen in the life of our church. And I want to believe that with you and your family, but I want to tell you today, before we get there, before we step into that, that Satan too has a strategy in the wilderness. And if you'll pick it up with me in verse 3, we'll see the first of three temptations. The first temptation is a temptation to want God's power without submitting to God's purpose. God's power without God's purpose. Look at the text with me. It says, the tempter came to him and he said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Another way we could say this temptation is this, to use the gift of God for personal gain. That was the temptation that, that Jesus faced, to use the gift of God for personal gain. See, this was not just about the fact that Jesus was hungry. This is about a whole lot more than the fact that he's hungry. And I know that because I'm about to do a fast, and I can promise you at no point in these 21 days am I going to feel tempted to turn a stone into bread. Like I, I'm not going to feel that temptation. I've never felt it before for one reason. I know I can't turn a stone into bread. I can't do it. So the enemy is not going to tempt me to do something that I'm incapable of doing, which tells me something about this story. It tells me that Jesus is absolutely capable of turning a stone into bread. He has that power. He has that ability. It says he was tempted. He was tempted by the devil. And the temptation came in this way to Jesus to, to use the gift, the power of God on his life for personal gain. I'm encouraged by the fact that Jesus was actually tempted. It tells me a couple things. Number one, it tells me anybody can be tempted. So, I mean, if Jesus can be tempted, come on, how many of you know anybody can be tempted? But the second thing it tells me is that temptation does not equal sin. And that ought to encourage somebody because what the devil wants to do is, you know, you're fighting, you're resisting against temptation, you're trying to stand strong in your faith. The devil wants to bring condemnation, not only to you for the things you've done, but the things that he's tempted you to do that you haven't done. And I want to remind somebody, temptation is not sin. It's our giving in to that temptation that has repercussions in our life. Jesus, the Bible says, never sinned. 
He never sinned in deed. He never sinned in word. He never even sinned in thought. And yet he was tempted. Now, if Jesus could really turn a stone into bread and satisfy his fleshly cravings, then it begs the question, what else could Jesus have done to use God's power for personal gain? And my mind goes right to the story in Matthew chapter 26, where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying with his disciples. Judas shows up. He kisses Jesus on the cheek because that's the sign he had given the angry mob he would use to point out the Son of God. He, he kisses Jesus on the cheek and the mob comes forward to, to arrest Jesus. And you remember the story. Peter jumps out and he, he swings his sword. He takes off the ear of Malchus, the servant of one of the high priests. Jesus just bends down. He picks up the ear. He puts it back on the man's head. But then Jesus says something in that moment. He says something so powerful to Peter, and everyone hears it. In verse 53 of Matthew 26, Jesus said, Do you think that I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? In other words, Jesus said in that moment, Peter, I don't need you to defend me. (laughs) I don't need your help. These people are not arresting me because I'm helpless. Don't you know that 12,000 angels could show up right here to defend me? All I have to say is go. All I have to do is call for them and they'll show up. But Jesus didn't succumb to his physical, natural desires in that moment. Several hours later, he'd be hanging on the cross in excruciating agony, and the people around him would be taunting him, saying, you saved others, save yourselves. And how many of you know he could have? Jesus wasn't hanging there helpless. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. He could have called down the angels of heaven to rescue him in that moment, but Jesus never relieved himself from the pain of the cross. He never rescued himself from the attack in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the reason he didn't do it is because he never turned a stone into bread. See, there was an opportunity early on for Jesus to choose the power of God and forsake the purpose of God. And the temptation comes to every one of us. We desire God's purpose until it's inconvenient, until it's sacrificial, until it goes against our personal desires. And then we want to forfeit that purpose and continue to have access to God's power. We want God's favor. We want God's blessing. We want the benefits of our salvation. We don't want to carry the cross that we're invited to carry. Turn this stone into bread. Jesus answered that question. In Matthew 4 and 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, what he was saying in that moment is, yes, my flesh wants to eat something. Yes, I am hungry, but I am crucifying my fleshly desires for my spiritual needs. 
Yes, man lives by bread, but there's something he needs more than bread. He needs the presence of God. The second temptation is this. The second temptation is to doubt God's promises. Ever been there before? Where where you're tempted to doubt God's promises for your life? Look at it with me in verse 5 and 6. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. I don't know if you're paying attention, but... Jesus just heard Satan quote the word of God. That's Psalm 91. Isn't that devil so sneaky? I mean, he comes to Jesus and he tempts him to turn a stone into bread, and Jesus rebukes him with the word of God. Jesus says, it is written. We don't live by bread alone, but by the word of God. And then Satan doubles back and goes, oh, okay, you like scripture then. I just say that a lot of times we... We get out of the line with the plan and purpose of God because we do the same thing that the devil did in the wilderness. Eden just preached a powerful message earlier. One of the reasons that we have so much disunity in the church is because of this game that the devil was playing right there. There are Christians that play the same game. We get an attitude about something that's happening in the political world, something that's happening in in the health world, or something that's just happening in our local community, and then we reach in the Bible and we grab a verse, we rip it out of context, and we stick it to our agenda. And then people read that and they go, oh, wow, well, that's scripture. That's a scripture. That must be right. And then we share it. And then we say it. And, and all of a sudden, we're not, even, we're not even proclaiming the truth of God's word. We've taken a, a text and ripping it out of context so it becomes a proof text for our own opinion. Well, if you're the son of God, why don't you just jump down? God said in his word, he wouldn't let your foot be striked against the rock. Can I just remind all of us today, Satan also knows how to quote scripture. It's a good thing to remember next time we're scrolling social media. The devil knows the Bible too, all right? So before we just grab a word and just cling to it because somebody said in Jesus' name, let's make sure it came from the source. Let's make sure it's not the word of God being twisted and manipulated because that's been Satan's lie from all the way back in the beginning. The first time he opened his lying lips, he said in Genesis chapter 3, did God really say? And he's twisting the word of God. And he's bringing us to a place that we would doubt God's promises. So here's Jesus standing on a high pinnacle. And if he feels the need to defend the word in that moment and says, well, the Bible does say that. And God will protect me. And he steps off. Well, Jesus just committed suicide. But if he doesn't step off and he says, well, you know, I don't really think that's what he meant and he starts backpedaling, well, now he can't use the word as an authoritative weapon to combat the enemy because he doesn't believe the authority of the word. So Satan's trying to trap him in this moment to to doubt the truth of God's word. He does the same thing to us today. Jesus answered him in verse 7. He said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God 
to the test. I love that phrase, it is also written. Because the best way to interpret scripture is scripture. Jesus said, well, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but that doesn't make sense because this is also true. And there's no contradiction in the word of God. See, Satan would love for you to doubt the authority of God's word in your life and and to start putting conditions on your obedience to say, well, you know, if, if you're the son of God, why don't you jump off here and see if God saves you? And we do that to a lesser degree. We say, well, God, if I'm your child, if I'm your son, if I'm your daughter, if you really have good plans for me, do this. If you'll do this, then I'll do that. If you'll show up, if you'll bless me here, then I'll obey you there. Can I just remind you, God doesn't have to prove himself to any of us. He's God and God alone. Let every man be a liar. He is God. Satan comes to tempt us to doubt the authority of God's word. Quickly, let me give you the third temptation that Satan brings. It's a temptation to reject God's plan. Verse 8 says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. A temptation to reject God's plan. Satan's got Jesus at a high point, and he's showing him all the kingdoms of the world. And here's the irony of that moment. Everything that Jesus is looking at that Satan is promising to give him has already been promised to him. God has a plan that Jesus will sit on a throne of righteousness with a crown of glory on his head and that people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will bow down and worship him as God. So Satan is showing Jesus his future. And he's saying, I'll give this to you, but I'll give you the crown without a cross. That's the temptation. To say, oh no, I want God's, I want God's blessing. I want the future God has for me, but I don't want the process. I want the crown. I don't want the cross. I, I want the way. I don't want the wilderness. And Jesus invitation to every one of us it's recorded in Matthew 16 he says if you want to be my disciple you must deny yourself take up your cross and follow me denial is a part of obedience and by the way with us doing this fast in a couple weeks There's not another spiritual discipline that teaches this better than fasting. I mean, there's just not. There's not another spiritual discipline that you can learn self-denial and obedience to the heart of God more than to physically, literally deny yourself and pursue God. And for, for some of us, Satan has just been lying to us. I, I believe he's trying to lie to the youth of this generation saying you can follow Christ without carrying a cross. You know, you you can just have a a watered-down cultural Jesus, you know? Just the American flag, no cross. But Jesus responds to the devil in verse 10. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written... Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
Serve him only. Can I tell you today, there's nothing more important in your life than the pleasure of God. To know that God is smiling at your life. To know that in, in all of your imperfections and all of your shortcomings, you want to honor him more than anything else. That's what it means to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I'm going to ask the student worship team to come back. And, and I want to just pray for you today. Some of these students, when they were talking about opportunities to sign up for ministry, several of them signed up for the prayer team. I love that. I want to ask our student prayer team if you guys would come and stand in the front. Because I said it earlier in this service, the same spirit that flows through the senior adults in this church is the same spirit that flows through these students. And if you're here today and you, you've struggled, you've struggled in the the wilderness, however you would quantify that difficult place in your life. You've struggled with the temptations that the enemy has thrown at you. I believe God's plan for you is his plan for his son, Jesus, that Jesus was led out of the wilderness in the power of the spirit. God wants to put a fresh anointing on your life. So I'm going to ask you if you'd stand with me all over this room. In just a moment, these students are going to just declare something over us that they were singing earlier, that we have a champion. His name is Jesus, amen? He is our champion. And so we're gonna do some warfare right now because some of you feel like the devil's been attacking you and he's been hitting you with his lies. We're gonna do warfare. But know that we don't go toe-to-toe with the devil. We go to our knees. We humble our heart before a holy God. We acknowledge our own shortcomings. We don't just change our ways, change our our heart. We wash our hands and we purify our heart. We we say, God, I want to turn my laughter into mourning if that's what's necessary. I want to acknowledge my sin today. I want to grieve over my shortcomings. But God, as I humble myself before you, I believe you're going to exalt me. So we're going to just declare this today in this room that we have a champion fighting for us his name is Jesus if you'd like to just come and seek the Lord at the altar I want to invite you to just step out from where you are you can come and find a place here to pray if you'd like someone to pray with you these students would love to pray with you today they might just put a hand on your shoulder they might ask you your name if they don't know your name but they're just going to speak life and blessing and favor over you so come on let's seek the Lord in these closing moments as these students